You're listening to Felony Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Welcome to Felony Inc., the fastest hour podcast you'll ever come across. My incredible co-host, DJ Dick Hennessy. And our incredibly beautiful guest, Meg Thibodeau. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming. Hey, you're welcome. So, uh, <laughs> basically, <laughs> I love you, it. Yeah, you know the deal with the uh, Felony Inc. podcast. I think uh, this isn't your first time here, but we're going to pretend like it's your first time here because me and Mark are, are unfamiliar your, with your backstory. So. Y'all are new to me. It's yes. not your first rodeo. No, it is not. On more than one level. <laughs> True story. How many times were you in prison? One time. Uh, one time loser. One, one time loser. Yeah, mm. lucky me. I decided to never, ever go back. You matured at such an advanced rate. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's high praise. I, uh, you know, I, have a, I, had a, I had a kid. I was a single mom, so it was a... How old is your kid? He's now 17 and a half. Wow. That's not bad. So he was 18 months when I went to prison and three and oh, a half when I got out. Wait, hold on. How old are you? I am 46. Wow. Freshly. I thought you were like 24, 25. Stop. stop. Yeah, I was going to say, how's freshly, it possible? Freshly, freshly 46. Right? No, how's, it, how's it possible a 26-year-old no, is 17 I, I just and got you. Yeah. I'm a little wow. flustered, Dick, because yeah. she's incredibly, has this great orange. She's Absolutely. beautiful, and she's just got an incredible smile, and she's very young looking. So. Well, I'm glad that's coming through on the radio. <laughs> Wait, I'm going, I'm going live on Facebook. <laughs> so let's uh, tune in on Facebook. It's going to see it. Yeah. Oh, my battery's dead. Well, Meg, uh, if you can maybe regale us in a story of your your childhood and upbringing and what led you into a life of crime. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, entrepreneurship led me into a life of crime, Dick. Well, me too. Yeah, <laughs> I think that might be true for all of us. Let's see. Um, childhood is, seems like an early start, but let's maybe start uh, when I found... Mm, cocaine in New York City? That might be a good starting point. Sounds good to me. I was uh, connected to the, um, through my incredible dating choices, uh, I happen to be connected to the, um, well, they say they don't exist, but there's some families in New York that do tend to uh, coordinate crime together. Um, let's see. That's so eloquently put. Thank you. I'm trying to be really diplomatic and no. save my, you know, save myself. Um, so I, I was dating someone who was connected. He was not a maid guy. He was a uh, earner, what they call an earner. Unless you're Italian, you can't be a maid guy. And he was British. So oh. I got connected that way. Um, at some point, I decided to take it upon myself after doing some traveling to, um, I, I got connected with someone who would buy a lot of ecstasy and I knew where to get it and it was something like a 50% markup so you know clearly uh see the dollar signs ding 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 right I didn't have a lot of uh, I was a pretty I was a pretty lonely kid without a lot of resources um single I was an only child of a single mom um and so I hadn't you know I spent one year in college I really didn't I was directionless you know I didn't really feel self-confident I had no real skills other than waitressing that felt like a dead end. I mean, I was drinking a ton. So I just, I was not in a position. I didn't really have a lot of great choices. The best among them I wasn't even making, right? So, um, God, I got involved in this situation and it was honestly the first time I felt valuable. I had something in my bag that people wanted and would pay for. And that feeling to me was probably the first time I ever felt like I really took up space in the world, that I mattered. I mean, that's such a bummer to say. I hear myself saying it. It feels so sad. I don't feel that way now. But I actually feel really grateful that I was able to have that experience. I mean, from a kinesthetic perspective, to actually like be able to later it's embody powerful. that with real self-worth. People, people are going to kiss yeah. your ass because you got what they want. Right, right. And I mean, you. I sat at a table. You know, and you have 5,000 hits of ecstasy. People come to you. 
<laughs> so I'm sitting at a table. No, there's a long line. And, going out the door. Yeah, and I can say, no, I'm not going to deal with you. I'm not going to deal with you. I'll deal with only you. You know, I had this kind of power right. that I had never experienced before. And then was later, I just feel really fortunate. I've been able to translate that into something that's actually like legitimate and grounded yes. and and real power, you know, real right. actual power with humility and grace and confidence. I didn't have it then, but I, I like to think that I've taken all all of these experiences and been able to transform them. I mean, I'm kind of proud to be uh, you know, a bit of a shapeshifter. Cool. Now, I was just doing a little quick math. So this was very, very possibly at the height of the ecstasy, like boom in America, correct? I would say so. I would say, yeah, if you were somewhere what in New York, in the Midwest, probably. And God, what was it? Um, 90... I was 16. How old were you? Shit, I don't know. <laughs> so 10, 10 years ago? Uh, no, it was more, longer than that. I was uh, at the early 2000s. Maybe I, she was honestly, at the beginning of the I know. I should have done this math before I, yeah. I didn't know we were going to get all detailed about, you know, decades. Inquiring minds want to know. It's been, I got out of prison in tw- in 2005. I went into prison what 2003. Prison? Federal... Uh, Brian Federal Prison Camp. I was in federal prison for all female. F- crossing state lines, all female. Went into a county jail in Springfield, Missouri. I was flying the ecstasy from New York to Springfield, Missouri. So Springfield, Missouri, being a conservative town, was, well, I mean, no town might have been that excited, but they were particularly irritated. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I was the New York, they called me the New York wing of Operation Exposed. So something like 5,000 hits of ecstasy came into their town via me. So they were none too pleased. Um, you guys at the airport? They did not get me at the airport. I was uh, taught, it was years later. In fact, in fact, I had been alcohol and drug sober for three years by the time I went to prison. So, so I had limitations didn't quite. No, toll. I had. I was had a new baby. I had a two month old baby. I was in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Knock on the door. It's the feds. I'm sober. I'm doing yoga. I have a baby. I am Last thing you completely. This is a part of my past now. I mean, on my own, I had decided this was not the lifestyle I wanted to live. Uh, I thought that the folks that I was dealing with were just so uninteresting. You know, drug dealers just have typically, let's say, cliche-wise, have the... Uh, They're such assholes. Kind of. Super unreliable. Super pretentious. Super unprofessional. Super pretentious. It's like, <laughs> I was yeah. kind of a pretentious drug dealer. I was like, oh, my God. Um, but... Here they come, knocking on the door. I've got an infant, single mom. Yeah. Did it, was uh, it a felony bus? They kicked the door in with a warrant to hold you at gunpoint? No, they did that to my partner. So I did get to experience that when my son was very newly born, just a couple of weeks old. We did the whole door kicking in and, and bulletproof vests and guns and feds all over the house looking for just other people and yelling. Up. And it was, yeah, it was Turn pretty the couch intense. Up. So that was for one charge, and then a few months later, they came for me. So once I kind of, I just kept thinking that these things were behind me, and then I had a similar experience. And then, and then they came. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm, we're not talking about me right okay, now. Okay. Later. But I understand that being clean and sober for like three years and uh-huh. thinking you change your life and everything's cool. And next thing you know, bam. Right. Yeah. That's, same thing. That's what I'm saying. So at the time, you had walked away from the life. Uh-huh. You cashed out. Absolutely. It was behind you. Mm-hmm. And then how, like how for ma- years. For years. And so, I had a baby now. Now so, I'm a so, mother. So going to prison with that different mindset is just, it's insane, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sitting in prison with all these gangbangers and whatever. I'm an artist, so I, you know, I'm, you know, whatever. But uh, it's just a whole different, weird experience looking at these people that are just not thinking the same as you used to think. It was, so. it was actually, I mean, you know, I'm far enough away from it. But I think even while I was there, I feel like that... That bit, that space, that bit of sobriety, that bit of self-reflection, me being someone who made some choices for my own life at this point, that served me so well in prison because I was really able to be in there and see it in so many different levels as a metaphor. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I... it was like, oh my God, here's these people. They're going to say, you have time and that's a punishment. And I was like, hmm time oh that sounds actually quite nice i mean time is something everyone has is always complaining they don't have enough of right and 
I just didn't buy into the, it just seemed like a real prescribed set of miserable circumstances. Like you will feel ashamed, you will feel bad about yourself, you will crawl around and be sorry for what you did. This is you, you made this huge mistake, and here's your punishment. It is time. And then at the end of this prescribed amount of time, then you can be quote unquote free or happy or back to the outside life, whatever it is. It just didn't make, it didn't make sense to me on any kind of a spiritual level that I was just going to say, okay, you're telling me to be shameful. I'll be ashamed. You're telling me to be miserable. I'll be miserable. I mean, it was a little bit of like, you can take my body, but you can't take my mind. I am. You can't tell me I'm not free or happy. You can't tell me I'm not happy. Yeah. You can't tell me when to do those things. So I really got like a dug in my heels. I was going to die on this hill. I will be free and happy just because you're telling me not to be. And you're going to do something incredible. Entrepreneurship. <laughs> Vision. Right. So I did That's... a lot of really, really amazing internal and probably external work when I was in prison. It was, I have to say, pretty profound experience. Congratulations. Also, it was, it was horrible and miserable. I don't recommend it. It's hardly <laughs> right. a retreat. Right. But, you know, the, the opportunity to challenge myself to find freedom in a prison has enabled me to feel free in so many other places. That's awesome. So how many years did you do? Two. So, <laughs> two, I mean, the real, you know, you're saying that it didn't really affect you, but the real punishment is being away from your family, correct? Oh, God, yes. That, that'd be the one thing that you can kind of, kind of pretend that wasn't an issue or affecting you. Uh, when, you were, when you were inside, how, how did you deal with that? Like compartmentalize that in terms of to be fair i'm not saying prison didn't affect me ptsd is real absolutely uh prison was really really rough um i do like to look at the positive side but i just want to be clear that it was not um fun um definitely the biggest punishment was leaving my 18 month old son as a single mom that isn't or anyone but particularly when i'm the only caretaker for him. It was a complete and total amputation. I did not know how to, um, I didn't know how to wrap my brain around that. It was absolutely the, you know, beach ball on the max spinning. I was just spinning, spinning, spinning. Um, I was five weeks from my detainment to getting to prison. It was over the holidays. So I spent five weeks in county and five weeks in a uh, federal transfer facility in Oklahoma City. Where women, women are a smaller portion of the prison population. So the women, they had them all in a space where there were no windows. So that's how they solved the problem of men and women uh, communicating. So we were just literally in a hole. Um, And I was walking. We used to walk round and round. You guys might be familiar with the way that inmates exercise like caged animals. So we'd walk around, round, 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 round after dinner. And I was walking with this woman. And she'd been down a couple times. She had a couple kids. And I asked her, you know, what do you, what do you do? How do you how do you survive? You seem like you're kind of okay. And she said, you have to separate yourself from them, which was a concept that I couldn't even fathom. It took me it really took me some time to understand that separating myself from this person who at the time felt like an actual part of my body was could be conceptualized and materialized in a way that might be healthy. So I started to think about what that might mean. And um, to me, it meant I have my story. I had to leave my son and go to prison. And he has his story. His mother went to prison. And, And all of it, while it didn't seem, I mean, at this point when all of this is happening and I'm in this facility, I actually don't even know how long I'm gonna be in prison. Six months, two years, like I, you know, you're not getting a lot of good information until you get there. Sentence. Uh, it was it was determinant, but there were Two there were eight. factors, or maybe you would do this program and get out early, or that program. It's the kind of thing where the judge says, "Oh, you can do the residential drug treatment program. You'll be out in nine months." But when you get into the prison, they go, "Oh, but there's a year and a half wait." 
right? So you don't really know. Um, and they do what they call board of prison math, BOP math, which is completely, completely hard to understand where they give you so much time off if you don't get in trouble, those kinds of things. So I really didn't know. I didn't know what prison I was going to. I didn't know what state I was going to. It all felt like this is my life now. It was very difficult to recognize that this was temporary, right? When you're so immersed, everything's been like the whole whiteboard of my paradigm had been erased. And I'm all of a sudden having to learn everything new. I mean, you did guys they, know it's just a completely different culture inside. Did you have an orange jumpsuit? Yeah, I had a... And I have an orange jumpsuit. <laughs> orange yes. Is, is orange the new black? Orange is maybe the new black. No, I think I had a dark green jump, some kind of jumpsuit. I don't think I ever had to wear orange. Did you? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I was ever in orange. I think where my county was a green Our color ca- or something. A couple different counties or whatever. I think the orange was intake. I'm not, I don't remember. Some county jails are orange. Yeah, there was some different that, you know, it seems so far away from me now. It's like... I mean, it was all beige in federal prison. I mean, it actually, it was aesthetically quite similar to Orange is the New Black. I mean, that was that story takes place in a, a low-security women's prison, similar to where I was. That's cool. I mean, no, it's not cool. But I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. So, not cool. So you're like a real living, breathing Orange is the New Black, right here in of, the studio. Yeah, kind of. Have you had Piper in here yet? You ought to get her. Piper? Herman, yeah. Okay, we'll get her. She wrote the book. You guys should get her. Okay, let's get her. Yeah. Piper, like Cur- Piper Kerman, someone remind me. Yeah, she'll come. You got her number? I'll find it. Okay. Nice. I'll give you my number and you can give it to me. So you, I'm slick. So you do a two-year sentence. I do. Uh, afterwards, halfway house situation, federal. <laughs> That's a good story. Ankle bracelet? Yeah. Um, no ankle bracelet uh, and no halfway house. Okay. In fact, I refused halfway house. I thought halfway house sounded like a whole new prison. Yeah. And it was going to be uh, the halfway house I would have gone to would have been another hour and a half away from where my son was living at the time. And the th- idea that I would have to get out of this one prison where I already knew all the guards, I already knew all the systems. I was actually getting pretty great psychiatric treatment. My therapist in prison was really talented. Um, and they're saying, you have to go to this halfway house and uh, you have no choice. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know. I don't really want to go. And we had these, do you guys remember team meetings? Do you guys have those where they get your quote unquote counselor and your sort of team together and you meet up and they talk about how much time you have and have you done your prerequisite classes to get out and things like that? And you do it, I don't remember, every I think we did three ex- months or something. We did like exit um, interviews or something? Something. Exit programs or something. I don't remember. Yeah, there's like ex- there's like classes that you're theoretically supposed to take, but they can't actually keep you in prison if you don't take the classes. So, I mean, just to illustrate how completely bizarre the realm of inside prison is, I go into this team meeting and I say, hey, you guys, I don't I don't want halfway house. That that sounds terrible. I don't want to have to take the bus to get a job at the Cracker Barrel for three months before I actually move again. Like That just sounds too transitional to me. I'll keep the devil that I know. I'll stay in this prison, and when I get out, I'm going home. And they said, no, 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 you can't do that. Well, what's it going to take? No, no, you can't do that. But moving on, you have not finished your prerequisite classes, something like how to write a check or you know whatever it was that mm-hmm. they wanted me to go take this class so that they could check a box. And I said... This is, mind you, minutes later, what what will happen if I don't take that class? And they said, well, we're going to take away your halfway house. So I said, okay, I think I think we're good here. <laughs> <You know>? So <laughs> I, I like ended up that, not going. They didn't like it at all. They even, had, they even had folks from where I was getting released call me up. They brought me into the office, put me on the telephone, which... You know, it's a strange thing in prison to that actually get on a phone. They kind of backfired on them, huh? They don't like that. They're like, wait a minute, no, what just happened? No, it's so confusing to do things differently. It's so in, such a deeply ingrained bureaucracy for itself never, and for the folks that are That's probably the first time that's ever happened. They didn't have, you know, that's never came across their thing before. No, You're because like, there's that prescription. Yeah. You get out on this date. So halfway like, house so is like, cool. quote unquote freedom, so you go to it. Yeah, I'll write a check. Yeah, right. In fact, that's what I'm in for. You right. know, I can do that class. <laughs> I did not want to. Yeah, I just didn't want to do it. Just no more transitions. It was too hard. It was too much. Was so too you didn't confusing. do no extra time. I did no extra. That's awesome. Well, I mean, I did. What, I stayed in prison during the time I would right. have been in halfway house. But I knew my but, bed. I knew my roommates. I. Right. I had my routine. I had my little job. Were you, um, was your, were you entrepreneuring while you were in... Am I going off pace here? But I was just wondering, while you're in prison, were you 
formulating these entrepreneurial ideas while you're, you know. Oh yeah. So this is this is what I'm <laughs> curious about is because um, me personally, I wanted to start this skateboard company with my artwork, and you know, I had this all figured out. You know, Jesus built my skateboard. You know, and do this. You know, some crazy JB skate, whatever. So I sat there and I draw on, and anyway, I end up just you know drawing portraits and tattooing, and you know, by the time I get to minimum, it's tattoo, tattoo, tattoo. I'm like, uh, so I went to, I did a, um, I think I did a term and a half of community college. And I said, uh-uh. I didn't make no money. I have so much money in tattooing. I, was like, I did that. So, right. so let's hear about your entrepreneurial um, light bulbs. Hmm. Let's see. I was. I mean, I was entrepreneuring when I was a kid. I was the. I was a. I think I was eight the time I hosted my very own garage sale and sold all my toys to make money to buy new toys. Uh, I used to draw bookmarks and like hand laminate them and like walk door to door in my neighborhood and try to sell these drawn, hand-drawn bookmarks to my neighbors. I mean, I was forever. I lemonade was, stand? I've done the lemonade stand. I've done all the things. I mean, I was ready to start working for myself at a very, very young age. So, of course, this whole um, opportunity with the ecstasy was pretty appealing, but didn't work out so well. It didn't feel sustainable, scalable. Right. Right? Well, you've seen the, the long-term picture. If you, right. ever watch, if you ever watch Scarface, you know what the end result is. <laughs> right, right, right. That's why I tell people that want to deal drugs. <laughs> yeah. uh, just watch Scarface. That's how it ends. If you're yeah. even good to get to that level. It doesn't end well. It does, it does never, not it end never well. It never ends well. Mm-mm. So um, while I was in prison, I... I didn't know, you know, I don't know that I had a really solid spark, but what I did do was just educate myself as much as possible. So, oh, you know what I was doing is uh, teaching yoga. So I had a, um, I had started a yoga teaching training program right before I'd gone in. And yoga was a big part of actually my move from addiction to uh, kind of a, a sense of internal wholeness. I found this practice shortly before I got pregnant. So I had already, it was kind of helped me move away. It was the thing I did after that feeling I described earlier, where I had this sense of taking up space. I started this practice that was legitimately teaching embodiment, right? So I was really learning how to be not completely dissociated all the time, be in my own body, be in my own space. And I sort of was able to find something to identify. I do yoga. And then it was, I can be a yoga teacher. So I was actually, there was this this something, this this tack that I could. And people wanted that. People want that, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's a it's a real vibrancy that you can share, or not even just shared. It's not from me, but something you can hold space for other people to find them in themselves, and that's powerful. Yeah. So I had started doing that. So when I got to prison, I did become the yoga teacher in prison. There was a lot of fantasy for me about. Did, you, um, did they pay in coffee or? And they paid me the envelopes. I, I did Stamps. win best teacher of the year, and I got a, a brown bag full of. Uh, like sweet tarts and Dr. Pepper things. The that inmates wouldn't on give you stamps. Stamps. No, Isn't we didn't trade federal stamps. Prison stamps. Not really. Oh. I mean, well, we bought them. I don't oh. know. We just we used to trade anything from commissary. Really, you'd pay with commissary, whatever it was. Right. You know, hot chocolate or oatmeal, peanut butter, mm. mackerel. <laughs> I love putting peanut butter in the top ramen and then putting some hot sauce in it. So I had like a. Ooh, peanut noodles. Yeah, yeah we used to do packets <laughs> of mayonnaise. I never thought about that. Have <laughs> you ever tried it, though? Have you ever tried a prison recipe outside of prison? Oh, yeah, I do it all the time. Do you still? Because yes. I've tried it, and it's really gross. No. I can't eat a little Debbie cake Would I, okay. to save my life. So the, hot, the honey buns and the little Debbies? Gross. I, I bought some for the house the other day, and it's like, those guys ate them up. I took one bite, and I'm like, ugh. They're but nasty. They're they, re- they're pretty tasty in prison. There's something perceptual that so completely shifts. Did you ever get your commissary and eat it all real quick? Fuck yeah. <laughs> Dauphine sandwich? E- every time, yeah. Okay. I try to conserve myself. I eat a, one of each thing, and then I set the rest on the shelf and kind of like, I can't eat it all right now. It's so hard because there's so little pleasure in prison. You <laughs> right. get, like you know, a, that sugar, that, sugar that hit. Oh, God. Yeah. No, I would eat all mine. And then on the weekends when the commissary was closed, I'd walk around trying to, like, beg candy bars off people and try to right. pay them back double. I mean, Two it was for kind one. of a mess. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't heard that in a while. Yeah. I was definitely had still had some addiction stuff going on in there. Food. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. It's tough to find. Yeah. It's not a it's not a joyful place. It's a place where you seek the sweetness of life. In your, uh... I had it going on. Uh, Sunday mornings, one of my friends works in the kitchen, and Sunday morning, he'd bring me a garbage bag full of fried eggs and bacon. I'd just sit there and eat that bacon. Mm. Just, it was so dripping. It's like, I'm not talking <laughs> garbage bags full of this stuff. I'm the only guy who probably got that. And it's like, then I'd sit on the shelf and I'd make burritos for the next couple of days. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah, prison food is a whole, like, we could do a whole podcast on prison yeah, cooking. Yeah, okay, yeah, we gotta stay focused. <laughs> <laughs> the top ramen, the many, many uses of top ramen, cooked or uncooked. I have some great recipes for, um, you know, Have you written a cookbook? No, but I think there's already one. Someone told me there's already one. Whoops. Someone told me there's already one written, but I think I could better it. You could open a restaurant, maybe. Well, I don't, someone said something about that. I was just like, no. There's a place in Eugene called uh, Jail. You, you know, you should be aware of that. It's over by campus. It's not jail food, but it's like it's called Jail, and they got like noodles. Sounds, sounds delicious. It's not. No. <laughs> On that note, I think we should take a commercial break real quick. CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startupradio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Lad Justison, our ex-co-host. Lad, here's a shout-out to you, my good friend. Um, hoping, uh, knowing you're doing well, so hope you're listening, because we miss you. Hey, Lad. Yeah, shout-out to Lad. Oh, Lad, Meg's really gorgeous. You wish you were hosting right now. You're, you're bad. So, uh, Meg... Before we get into your uh, personal endeavors right now, business-wise, just out of curiosity, you had walked away from the life successfully. Everything was good for years, correct? Which is not... It, it's I just mean, not, good's relative. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. you were comfortable and, and going in the right direction. I was, being, I was clean. Yeah, yeah you I were was trying, starting citizen. to understanding. Yeah, I was starting to understand what a better yeah. direction, a better path might look like. Yeah, and it's and honestly, in my opinion, it's just not fair. You know, like the feds just don't. They're not playing fair if they go and get a a, a person that's trying to do the right thing. And uh, yeah, I felt I felt it point. was so unfair at it's, first when they <laughs> came and got me out. They waited like thirty days shy of the statute of limitations to get yeah. me on some old charge that I forgot all about. Some checks some dude wrote at my house. You can't. Yeah, you got to feel like they do it on purpose sometimes. Just to, they don't like to see people bettering themselves and getting away with things. But at the time, did you have a vision when you were transitioning? Did you have a in, in the spirit of entrepreneurship? Did you did you have something that you were kind of attempting to build or, or something you wanted to do work wise that maybe coincides with what you're doing now or is completely different from what you're doing now? Completely different. I have so many different career lives, but to be honest, I mean, they've they what I'm doing now. Everything that I've ever wanted to do, I think I'm probably utilizing the skill sets and the experiences that I had. By the time they came to get me from New York, um, let's see, probably like two years passed before I started the yoga thing. But at the time when they first came, I was trying to get into New York fashion. So I was trying to get into hairdressing, makeup design, and New York fashion. So that was really interesting to me at the time. Um and then once I actually got, once they came, I had to go, I had to leave the state of New York. I had to go to the state of Missouri where I'd actually committed the crime. And uh, let's see, memories. I had to go back to Missouri, at which point that's when I started getting into the yoga. I had taken, you know, I was, it was so hard what I was going through. I had taken the yoga classes that I was going to in New York while I was trying to do the hairdressing business. And that started to become the thing I was most interested in. So that really grew. Then once I was in prison, I think my fantasies really, uh, my entrepreneurial fantasies involved being able to help people. I mean, be be in some way of service, you know, be able to inspire people, be in some way of service, be able to travel. You know, I've always liked speaking. This sort of thing is really appealing to me. And I never really, um, I couldn't quite put it together, what it looked like. I knew there were sort of all these disparate elements of things I was interested in, but it really revolved around that. And particularly the more time I spent in prison, the more the fantasies were about how can I be helpful. And I didn't know if that would be with, directly with 
people who had the experience, and it has been. I've done a lot of work with several organizations and and gone back inside of prisons and done talks and things like that, which has been incredibly rewarding. Um, But what I'm doing now is pretty special. I think... um, I think I'm in a really good place. This, this, we are, uh, my partner and I have a historic tavern space in Forest Park here in Portland, um, which is an amazing 5,000 acre piece of forest. I think it's something like the largest in the largest park within city limits. I mean, it's really quite an incredible gift we have in the city. And, uh, we have this this business in a place we're grandfathered in because it's all ecological, residential, and um, and agricultural up there. So you can't go to Forest Park now. You can't go up to Skyline Boulevard and build a tavern and and start a business. We have this place that's been in in use for over our, almost a hundred years, and so. We could take it and run it like a tavern. We could sell a bunch of alcohol for a huge markup. We could do, you know, lottery. We could have a bunch of music. We could really, really push the partying and uh, make a ton of money in this pretty special place. But we just, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like our, our mission. That's not, not interesting to us. In fact, that feels like a huge backwards turn, particularly for me. Um, so we're running it as uh, a place that we like to think regenerates and generates a deep engagement for people in uh, the land, in the community. And we do that through a lot of art stuff. We do it through music and hiking. We have a, we have a, a kitchen garden. We have a, folks that come from the community and help us in our garden. I keep bees. We have... We're doing, you know, we're doing something that we we hope is a little bit different and a little bit in deeper service. We're trying to do less harm, and we're trying to use this kind of unique. I mean, it's such a dichotomy to take this bar and make it something healthy, but that's actually what we want to do. So, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, sounds crazy cool. Yeah, how long did have you been involved with the uh, this the skyline? Tavern, pro- I mean, Skyline Tavern Project. Yeah, project. We call it project because yeah. it's just not a tavern. It's actually a project. It was originally my partner bought it five years ago as a an engine to fuel an art and ecological uh, organization, a nonprofit. And it's actually over the years become the project. It's become. It's always been Skyline Tavern Project, but more and more, and particularly since I've been involved for the last couple of years, we're revisiting some of the original um, the original missions for it to be more of a um, a place of stewardship, a place where people come together through art and ecology and perhaps exercise. They're in the park, their engagement with the park, they come together and we can have this space where the space is of service to what these people, you know, to give people access and um, so the bar access the word is the engagement. Park. The park, the access is the park. We have we have access to Forest Park right across the street from the bar, and uh, so we host runs, we host hikes, um, and certainly love to host people. That it's kind of cool. We're there, and people are sort of just coming out of the woods to come enjoy our view. And, <laughs> literally, yeah, literally coming out of the woods to to sit, and we like to feed them good food and and local um, local beers. Is it expensive? I would say we're pretty reasonably priced. We have. So if I wanted a cheeseburger, what's that go for? We don't sell cheeseburgers. Okay. What, what's your? Give me an example of what we can eat. The good food you're talking about. <laughs> well, we have a uh, we have a new menu item that is an organic walnut burger. You can have that for eleven dollars. I think it's about That's eleven awesome. bucks. It comes with uh, Hot Mama's chips and. Do you guys serve Dave's Killer Bread there? We don't serve Dave's Excuse Killer me? Bread. Sorry, no, Dave. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Well. Anyways. <laughs> we uh, yeah we we have Grand Central and uh, let's see New Cascadia for gluten free. Can we can I throw that idea at the board of directors maybe the day the Dave's Killer Bread's really organic and wholesome. It's very good yeah and they so, do a pretty good job giving uh, giving couple ex, couple of some good cons a nice chance. No that's good I love I love Dave's Killer Bread. All right let's it's get not it. Dave's uh, anymore though. Well it's always going to be Dave. It's still Dave it's though. It's always going to be Dave. I know it's still Dave. Dave so. We like it, yeah. We uh, it's not out of the question. Okay, I like that. It's not out of the question. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so the Skyline Tavern Project. Uh, you guys have live music there. 
Heck yeah, right. we do. Our live music program is really sweet. Uh, every Wednesday night, the Black Dogs of Skyline play. They are our house band, and they are insane. They are so good. Uh, that's, uh, let's see, Matt Catanelli and Chris Stewart of Wander Lodge, uh, my partner Scott Ray Becker, and legendary bass player Dave Reich. And we've also got Tate Peterson of the Res Electrics that play with them, and they crush it. I mean, we're talking about a really sweet, little, intimate space with like, these guys are just rocking in sync. You got chills up your spine. It's super nice. We've got several other bands that play regularly. Annette Lohman comes and does gorgeous jazz vocals um, with her partner, Dan Haley. Um, gosh, all, we've got tons of folks. It's four nights a week. Is we it do. all over 21? It's all over 21. Yeah, music on Sunday afternoons is really sweet. We do a little quieter. In the summer, we do some unplugged stuff outside, but... I mean, we've just, uh, we play all vinyl. We don't make a huge deal about it, but I'm pretty proud of it because uh, we really feel like we want to, we're using, we're using little tactics like that to increase consciousness and engagement. You know, we were streaming Pandora for a while and it just ends up being, it's not great quality sound and it's sort of moves in the background there's no space between the songs you get no, it becomes ambient noise. We started playing vinyl and all of a sudden the music stops. And it's this negative it. space, and you notice that music was playing, and you're all of a sudden you're paying attention. Oh, what music was playing? That's oh, that's awesome. a record. We have people talking more to our bartenders about music. They're noticing the music is playing. They're paying attention. Yeah. So we're super excited about. Do stuff you guys have like, like a DJ or who does the music? Our bartenders. The bartenders. That's yeah, cool. yeah, it's pretty small. I know space. a really good DJ. Do you? Yeah, his name's DJ Dick Hennessy. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually a DJ. Oh really? But, uh, yeah, as a as a DJ myself, I, I have to completely agree. Pandora and these type of streaming services completely soulless. Um, well, Spotify has you can choose whether to not whether they run into each other or not when yeah. there's a space. So can you? Spotify. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. But Still way, not the same. Yeah, same the sound. The warmth and the the crispness of vinyl, and then just the actual experience of someone, actual human being. Choosing there, there's nothing better alternate. than hearing that needle hit the vinyl. Goes, it goes like this, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, so they, real. You know, it's coming. Mm-hmm. It's so real, and then you have to actually listen. You don't have to, obviously, but the experience then is you get the whole album. The artist has put this entire piece together. You yeah. get the whole story, right? Yeah, God, I think the, it's really special. Vinyl is incredible. Now that I'm thinking about it because, like, you know, the album art and the sleeve and the foldouts and the you know the stuff they did back then. They put so much into it. each album it's tactile so, it's really it's quite special yeah yeah it really is uh increased kind of a conscious engagement our bartenders are very excited we we're a little like oh so you know you're gonna have to do this extra step of of turning the records over and they're just delighted they're proud and it's a real it's a real pleasure to be able to have this place that people love to work in and love to come to well one of my main sponsors is uh for the last decade is voodoo donuts and one of the main the keys to the, keeping the employee morale up is every employee at some point gets to choose the music for the shift that they work so they can play whatever they want. And I feel like that kind of builds a sense of community and togetherness and it kind of everyone kind of can connect even more on it. I feel like everyone is connected by music. You can tell a lot about a person by what type of music they're into. And it's one of the most powerful mediums there is. I mean, obviously I'm a DJ, so I'm a little biased, but... I think music's kind of, if, if you don't know anything else about a person but what music they're into or what they enjoy listening to, you could tell a lot about a person. There's real science behind the healing that music is for a human brain. So yeah. it's not just you, Dick. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I'm not alone in that. No. Um, are you, uh, you know, dealing with the musics and the, and the band? Are you musically inclined at all? Do you play any instruments? Or? I don't. I wish I did. I mean, I played the piano when I was younger. I keep yeah. threatening to go back to it, but, you know, I only have so much time in the day, but it's there's a lot of life left, so I'm still perhaps on that track. I'm very musically inclined when it comes to uh, listening to it. I don't do the curation. Well, I partner with my partner in the curation, but he primarily takes care of that. He plays uh, drums and congas, so... It's awesome. So was this kind of on the horizon before you got involved with Skyline Tavern, Tavern Project? Were, were you thinking about maybe going into a restaurant or a bar industry at all? Or was it something that kind of fell in your lap? Fell in my lap because if you would have asked me if yeah. I wanted to go into a restaurant or bar, that would have been a very hard no. 
I did not want to. I mean, I spent maybe 15 years waiting tables. I was in no way going to go back to that world. That was completely uninteresting to me. It was like um, a hell no. It was a hell no, for sure. And in fact, um, it took me a while to really get involved with Skyline Tavern to be able to envision what it, you know, what it really was, what it could be, uh, what I could contribute to it and the ways that I could find meaning and and uh, and the rewards of those contributions without it turning into me, you know, quote unquote, running a, a restaurant or running so, a bar. So I have a question. Yeah. Um, so about the menu, because there was and so you said there was a. Um, like a tofu burger or an organic burger. So is that like organic meat that's grass-fed or... Um, so this no, is... No, it's actually vegan. We have... Vegan. It's so plant-based. It's, all, it's so all walnuts and brown rice. We okay. have some meat. We have a we have a uh, bratwurst that's really great on our menu. We do local organic meats. Uh, so in, it's socially conscious um, decisions. Oh, that. yeah. We're that's awesome. really trying very hard to be sustainable and do less harm and really... And that's awesome. That's so, how we get meaning from it. You know, right. it's really much... It's... And it's kind of counterintuitive, honestly, sort of the more niche we get, the more we make these decisions that could be unpopular, the more popular we get. I mean, people are just very, very excited about what we're doing. We get incredibly positive feedback and we feel good about it. You know, we're not making decisions that are sort of these short lived decisions about about how to increase our bottom line. We really want to first and foremost increase the amount of uh, the amount of meaning we get, the amount of service we can provide, how generous can we be and how can we like really carefully and conscientiously steward the land we're on. We think that the land we're on is incredibly sacred and having a bunch of people just come up and get wasted and, and eat burgers just doesn't it just doesn't feel it's like no judgment to anyone else that does that. It's not doesn't feel responsible to us. It doesn't feel in alignment with who we are as people. And so if we're gonna put something out there, it's gotta be something that we love. Mm-hmm. It's got to be something that we I love. I think I really want to check this place out. Oh yeah, we're going for sure. Let's um yeah. <laughs> you got any plans later? And uh, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, we we gonna go have lunch. Yeah, maybe. Okay, yeah. I got a couple um, things to do, but then I'm. Uh, it sounds oh, wait, good. I gotta get Saxon today. Now, now, whatever you're doing, you're doing it 100 percent right, and the public agrees. It was uh, voted Oregon's best bars or the Oregonian best bars. Congratulations! And, and also Willamette Week Bar of the Year. Thank you. This is very impressive. That's not Thank an you. easy feat. No, and and when that when you guys were up for that, did you do campaigning, a little bit, anything like that? But it was the majority of the community that came together and yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we did some is, campaigning, of course. Yeah. That's how those things work. But for sure, you know, we we put effort into it, yeah. Um, which we haven't done again. It uh, you know, that was a mixed bag. Honestly, uh, we're very very proud of those distinctions. It's really special to be. Uh, honored that way, and also to be quite honest, it brings a lot of a attention and folks that maybe how do I how do I say this really diplomatically? Uh, it it brings a lot. It brings unwanted attention as well. There's a there's a dark side to being the most yeah. popular. Yeah, yeah like when I show deeply, up with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it exactly. So that's so, why you're coming. right? That's why I'm coming. No, um, we're we're very honored. We are really genuinely very honored. But it's not something we're shooting for every year. If that makes sense. Like right. that's not no, our that's not our end game. I mean, you had an opportunity. You kind of pushed it a little bit. That's right. You weren't carrying one way or the other. You didn't like just consume yourself with it. Right, right, right. But um, and we don't put much effort into it anymore. We feel so comfortable and confident with. Our place is this like legendary. I mean, when I'm walking around the town wearing Skyline Tavern swag, you know, we have our sweatshirts and hats and things. I'm not wearing any now, no, but um, yeah, yeah, bringing some next time. Okay, uh, come visit. So oh, we're uh, going to be there immediately. People come up all I mean all kinds of people. People have chased me down in a store. Skyline Tavern, you know my grandma used to go there. Or I used to drink there illegally or you know there's so <laughs> many great stories. I we're the fifth owners, so it's you know it really is quite a quite a place Quite a honor. storied place. Oh, it's a huge honor. It really is to you're be like the carrying, stewards. You're of carrying this place. the torch. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a lot of responsibility. We do, and, and hopefully, we're we're hoping to do it. You know, in a really a uh, a really and this fantastic torch is passed way. to an ex-convict. Heck it's incredible. Yeah. Heck yeah. Do you um, do you guys ever sell out your shows, or is it you know how crowded you guys get? Is it we like... turn people away on the weekends. And, yeah, so... In fact, my 17 year old son is running our parking lot. So he's weirdly diplomatic and earnest and does an amazing job of helping people park. 
we have uh, pretty strict restrictions from the city of Portland because of where we're located. We're grandfathered in in this very small space. So, and we want to be good neighbors. We want to be really respectful of the people and the and the land. So, we have a super limited parking that we're allowed to park customers, and it's 35, 40 on a really tight. You know, if if Aiden's up there, do they parking park going people, around the corners and stuff? They try, but that we really discourage it. It really, really. Oh, those is, are dangerous roads up they're there. They're super dangerous roads, and also it's a lot of those roads are private roads, so it's really not very thoughtful of us as a business to let our customers park right, there. Yeah. So we really strongly discourage it. Encourage people to hike, to carpool, to come up. But when it's really busy, we definitely turn people away. So we don't book a lot of private parties. We don't. We really stay open for you the ever folks do any weddings? that take the no. I want to get married there. Someday. No, you and everybody else. It's a it's gorgeous okay. place. It's definitely a good wedding so I'm not spot. The first one that's, yeah, I've never no, even. You know, we're not going to let you. Um, it's too much wedding. Like, that's a whole other. I don't think I really that's a whole get, other skill set. I might want to get married someday. Um, but do you guys do like VIP or anything? Like, what do you mean? I don't know. <laughs> Trying to get a VIP <laughs> do you pass want me to, to put park. Up, do you put up like uh, a velvet so, rope for you? Do like parking passes or something? What if I wanted to like Mm-mm. book a thing or something? Otherwise, otherwise, so I just have to be on point and get up there early. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Skyline Tavern has been around for eight decades. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hypothetically, you could be like 95 years old and go in there and have been going there your whole life. We have a customer that has been coming for 70 years. Yes. What? <sighs> yeah. And sometimes, this is not a joke, I have photos. He rides his mule to Skyline Tavern. <laughs> okay. Well, you need a picture of him riding his mule like in the, up there with him signing it or something. It's I don't so know. That's crazy cool. fantastic. Yeah. he. Mm-hmm. We have some really, really colorful. So he still has a little farmhouse out there somewhere mm-hmm. on the hill? Yeah. It's like, yeah. He's fantastic. Like, he's probably been white beard. millions of dollars. I mean, he showed up. The last time I saw him, he had like petals, flower petals that were accidentally in his big white beard. I mean, he's just feathers in the cap, you know. Floor length leather I mean, duster. So he owns some little plot of land up there that somebody just yeah. wants to build some big mansion on. He was like, "Nope, I don't want your five million dollars." So, yes, I mean seventy years. That's pretty specific. Move on, Isn't that interesting. Do you yeah. guys have like uh, mule parking for him or? Uh, yes. So we can ride horses up there realistically. Sure, so. do it, do it. So you have a horse hitch. I will make you a horse hitch. You can you can <laughs> hitch up to our little bike rack. Okay. Yeah. There's plenty. There's of, a bus there's that goes so up there, many right? places for you to park your There's a bus horse. stop right there. No, no bus stop. Can you believe that? Yeah. So you can't take the bus up. It does, you do have to hike or drive or take your horse. We will definitely park your horse for you. This used to be so. There's a little cabin right next door. This is the original farmhouse that used to be on a 50 acre horse farm. They used to sell beer and groceries out of their garage. So that's how this whole place started. And then they moved this building from Lower Skyline. We're not quite sure where. It used to be a schoolhouse or a store or something. They moved it and put it on the property and opened it up as a tavern. So, yeah, it's been in business 80 years as a tavern and then longer than that as a little School. sort of a, you know, wow. as a commissary landmark. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, we haven't registered it. Where that's can people, um, so what's the website? So people want to check this out. Um, Sure, it's skytav.com, S-K-Y-T-A-V.com. Or, you know, that's that's our Instagram handle. We're on Skytav, Facebook, all those things. Mm-hmm. The best way to check us out is to come to the tavern. Well, I drive I, up there. Yeah. I don't I don't know that, you know, I don't know that anything else does it justice. It's what such an trans- analog experience. What if my transmission's slipping? <laughs> Good luck. Take a lift. A and the lift, t- that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yes, genius. The that's tavern's what. located at 8031 Northwest Skyline Boulevard in it Portland, is. Oregon. Majestic, scenic. Gorgeous views. The sunset hills. is yeah. unbeatable. Yeah, we're de- me and Mark are definitely going. But what I found was interesting is not only do you guys have uh, live music, really good food, I'm assuming it's great food, um, but you also have a beer garden and a community uh-huh. grill. Can you smoke there? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, smoking, uh, you can smoke all, all out in the back in the beer garden, just not inside. There's a front porch for smoking, yeah. yeah. So, so the community grill, though, like me and Mark could come in the summertime, bring our own charcoal, bring our own food, and grill it up there. Is that what that is? A little bit. That's that's a bit debatable at the moment. Um, we've been hmm. having some... I like our, that idea. Let me just say, Dick, <laughs> that our, our insurance agents are not a huge fan of us letting our customers play with fire. Yeah, of course. So historically, our community grill was exactly what you're saying right now. We've been experimenting with renting it out. We've been experimenting doing some different things. This summer, I'm not exactly sure how we're going to use it. What I'd really like to do is get... Um, 
you know, get folks to come and we either host and do pop-ups and, you know, you come and you have a dinner, you have a lunch that's, or a brunch that's cooked entirely on our grill. I mean, it's a big So we could bring rock. in our own food to be cooked? Perhaps. What if it was We'll non-organic. have to talk about that later. Doesn't matter. Yeah. But it has been, it's a little bit in flux what we're going to do with that. But up until this Got point, it. that grill has been in place for folks to, yes, bring your own food and cook. And we provide charcoal and, and oh, you things. provide charcoal. Yeah. We have all the tools and the charcoal. And now, things. is there like a, a drink limit when you do that? Or is it wrong? Like, uh, we do ask that you buy drinks from yeah. our bar and don't bring your own. But we don't force you to buy drinks. We try not to force anyone to drink. It's a pretty dangerous drive, so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's in our best interest that our so customers are, don't drink too much. So you're over-diligent on the um, are, visibly intoxication? We are very diligent about that, yeah. Good. And we don't serve hard alcohol. We serve beer and wine. We have kombucha on tap. We've got uh, Good Wolf Kiefer water. So what's some of your most favorite beers? you guys have Hot Valley? Do you have Boneyard? Or? Uh, you know what? I don't drink. So you have no idea? <laughs> I have some idea. My favorite, probably my favorite company we work with might be uh, Wolves and People. I think they're doing things really, really f- in a fascinating way. They're getting yeast off their own property and, I mean, just hyper, hyper that's local. That's kind of stuff that interests me. That's crazy. Yeah, they're really cool. They do they do beers out of, like, hazelnuts and honey. And we, we share a beekeeper. I, I like them for that reason. Oh, that wow. we, we have a We have a beekeeper in common. Nice. Yeah, we do uh, Lucky Lab. We, have, we carry some Lucky Lab. In fact, uh... I don't know if I'm allowed to say this in public, but I'm going to do it anyway. They're making a Skyline Tavern uh, IPA for us, so we're actually going to have our own IPA. Do you guys need some? T- do you guys need a taste test or whatever? Me and Dick, are we going to volunteer? Perhaps, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps. I think that. Um, and we might have an opening for that. Okay, first first applicant. Okay. So just to put, again to put things in perspective, to win, let's say I'm, I'm just putting it out there: Oregon, Portland, especially in my opinion, has more bars per capita than probably any city in America. So to win not just one, but two, the Oregonian and Willamette Week best bar in the city, that's a huge accomplishment, and that's that's a major statement piece. Thank you. So that being said, do you have any plans or vision for the future for Skyline Tavern or just keeping so things the many. same? Like, yeah. Oh, we're never going to keep things the same. No, 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 no. Right now our vision is to, you know, we're really moving towards being even less tavern and more arts organization. So we recently, in fact, had an amazing installation at our tavern. The artist, the Portland artist Malia Jensen, had a project called Near Nature Worth Your Salt, and she did these amazing um sculptural salt licks of different body parts. So there was a stomach and a foot and a hand and a breast and a head. And they were spread across the state of Oregon in sort of like a reclining body. And she put these wildlife cameras out by the Salt Lakes wow. and captured, you know, thousands and thousands, thousands of hours and then had it edited and, and to sort of a quilted. So the whole body for, was getting licked away. Yeah, it was That's just amazing. Crazy. And so all the wildlife that was captured then got edited into this amazing five hour loop of Is that on YouTube? Four, no, it's not on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> what is her name? Gosh, I can't remember which gallery is, is hosting it. It's, it's being sold through a gallery. It's pretty fantastic. It played in our tavern. We took over our Kino screen because we had lotto at the time we've since gotten rid of our lotto but we hijacked our kino screen and our screen we play no sports we only play like in weird or offbeat things on our screen so we took all our screens over and this thing played constantly on loop it had little you could hear the coyotes even when the bands were playing so that sounds awesome yeah we do a lot of fun stuff so it'd be it'd be great to have you guys come check it out oh yeah i can't wait to check it out i can't either i'm i'm like there i'm so there so i guess that's it, I guess. So, um, yeah. yeah. I'm, I mean, on that note, very special thank you, Meg. I guess I'm speechless. That's awesome. Meg Thibodeau for coming back and gracing us with your presence. Thank you, guys. Uh, it's a pleasure. Yeah, I can't wait to. And I encourage everyone to run out to Skyline Tavern Progress um, Project. You can't beat me and Dick there. I'm on my way. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, 8031 Northwest Skyline Boulevard, Portland, Oregon. Amazing food, music, beer garden, and more. And this is us signing out of Felony Inc. podcast. Every Friday morning, 10 a.m. The fastest hour. Startupradionetwork.com. Tune in. Check it out. It's going to keep getting better and better. Tune in and get turned on. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you can easily control how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. 
Visit callruby.com slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code StartupRuby. Tell them Felony Inc. sent you and get $150 credit. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.